How's it going, everybody? We are back with another edition of the Ad Podcast. And today we have a really great guest for you. Joe Roten is the Chief Marketing Officer of Ground Truth, which is a uh, data and advertising targeting company that helps advertisers figure out what kind of an impact is your media spend having on actually driving customers into your physical locations? And beyond that, what do they do when they actually come in the doors of your retail boot on the ground locations? And uh, he has a really interesting background, uh, a real legend in the QSR space, uh, known probably most prolifically for the guy that made Wendy's Twitter so funny back in the day. Uh, but after that, also held executive leadership roles as the chief marketing officer of companies like Potbelly and also was at Papa John's uh, as the CMO as well. So, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, no problem. And I think actually you threw me out as a Joe at the start, like your buddy Joe. So. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> it's okay. Just, uh, it's just okay. Word dice that at the beginning. We were just talking about my friend Joe Roten over at Cision, but excuse me, Brandon Roten. No problem. No problem. Any any other road, and I will share with you. <laughs> your last name. Awesome, man. So, uh, so Brandon, uh, you know, anything else you want to walk us through your background? I, something that I think is really going to be exciting and pertinent to the conversation today is uh, I love that you also have some experience as a B two B marketer at Gyro. But anything else you want to walk us through in your resume? You know, I've been really lucky. I've worked at a lot of awesome brands with a lot of amazing teams. So, uh, you know. I just I feel lucky to be where I am and and work with amazing people and fortunately grow some businesses. So uh, happy to help in any way I can. All right, awesome man. So the first question is, uh, you know, you spent a lot of time in a very you know going what I would call a, a mile deep and an inch wide, right? So uh, you were a marketer at Gyro, but then started stepping into the QSR space originally as. Uh, essentially the head of, head and original first guy in digital at Wendy's during their turnaround. Uh, from there, you went over to Papa John's and in Potbelly in, chief, in the chief marketing officer role. And then what some would maybe think as a bit of a departure, you decided to get into the ad techs game. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about that journey and uh, what made you decide to make the jump? Yeah, well, I would tell you it, it was all a bit accidental. I kind of went where the world needed me when they needed me. Uh, you know, I had a B2B agency. And, uh, and some people knew some people that wanted to build digital out for a B2C company, Wendy's. Uh, I was very lucky that I joined at a time where we had a, a brand new CEO who was willing to take some bets on, on some new things, given the brand had struggled to grow for, for a while. And, uh, and kind of hit when social just started to emerge as a significant you know, factor for brand building. Uh, and got, a, got together a great team, had a great brand that could have a great voice. You know, it had a an amazing positioning back in the eighties. We just pick, pick right back up on that. Where's the beef kind of mentality. <laughs> and it, um, it exploded and they just kept giving me stuff to do. So, uh, you know, I just kind of found myself falling into these different, uh, roles as the needs were there for a brand to, to get attention again. And, you know, the, the turn to B2B, the turn to ad tech was really born on the fact that, you know, in my career, I probably put six or seven billion dollars plus in market uh you know wow. activating it to grow brands and the attribution back to what actually worked was so tenuous i mean mm -hmm. you, you have an mta in place or a media mix model or you name the tool and it only gives you a sliver to understand what's actually occurring how are you getting butts in seats at a restaurant or some other you know very physical result that is required to justify that level of, of investment and ultimately 
uh, I was very frustrated with that as a marketer and, and found that there was nothing on the brand building side that was really clean. There was nothing on the performance side, especially if you're a, a retailer in the real world. If you sell e-commerce and you're just doing online transactions, you can get pretty clean. Yeah. But, um, but if you've got a real brick and mortar business, understanding what your dollars are doing is tough. And, uh, you know, I'd worked with Ground Truth a bit in the back in the past and, and thought this was the kind of company that could that could connect the dots for people. It's not an MTA. It's not a media mix model. It's it's literally like you spend a dollar. Do people show up? Yes or no. And uh, and that's exactly the kind of clarity I was hoping for as a marketer. And, and my friends who are CMOs want. Uh, so that's what we're building. I love it. So I think uh, a B2B marketer's job is probably one of the hardest in ad tech. And it's taking the technology components that really smart people that design the back ends of how all the technology works in our industry. And how do you explain that to, you know, marketers that need to be experts at so many different things these days. So can you walk us a little bit through, uh, in your mind, you know, what's the positioning of ground truth? What is your methodology for gathering data and how do you validate these results and prove, the attribution that you guys say you guys are driving, um, how do you make that easy for a brand to believe in and understand that you guys are driving the results that you say you can drive? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Well, first of all, our position is very simple. We're a media platform that drives in-store visits. Nice. That's simple. Yep. Uh, and that's the job of the platform is to make it so people show up. We can do other things too that we call real business results, things like check growth and, and market share changes, things like that. But to be very simple, our job is to make people show up to a brick and mortar business. Um, how do we do that? Well, there's a lot of technologies out there that let you understand who to market to, to drive them in, to build the right audiences, like location data, purchase data, credit card transaction data. We take real world behavior, we call it, these indicators, signals, that I am doing something in the world and, and I'm likely to do something that looks like that thing in the future and build media audiences for them deliver that media. And then our, that same technology we use in the front end, we use in the back end to validate if they showed up. So mm -hmm. we're using location purchase, other real world behavior data, those signals uh, to build an audience, deliver media, and then validate whether someone actually did the thing that the marketer wanted them to do. So it's kind of a closed loop process. that's pretty straightforward. And, and we deliver the ads over the open web. You know, we're kind of like the trade desk for real business results. You can buy and CTV and mobile and desktop, kind of anywhere you want to run media. Uh, you can do that through the DSP that we have at, at Ground Truth. Uh, at the end of the day, really what differentiates us, I think, is, is that real world behavior that we gather and then the real business result like a physical visit on the back end. I love that. So what type of scale do I need in order to make a Ground Truth campaign work? Um, do I need, how many doors do I need? How many locations do I need in order to achieve stability with your methodologies? Yeah, we like you have at least a few locations. And the reason is that lets us gather enough data that it works. Uh, so generally we're talking about regional brands. We're talking about brands that, that have pockets of physical storefronts, but it really depends on the traffic volume. So realistically, if you're a Costco, you've got a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. If you're a Walmart, you've got a lot of traffic. But if you're a you know jewelry store running 10, 12 transactions a day, odds are there's not enough real behavior sort of in the world for us to extrapolate something that that is going to scale in a reasonable way. Um, but we also we work as a platform so people can actually just play around. If they're going to put 20 bucks in, they can put 20 bucks in and see what it does. Wow. For them. So you do have self-serve. 
we do. We, we're, we're managed self-serve and, and we have a few other ways to work with us. But at the end of the day, uh, we actually have a lot of clients that, you know, they'll start with a few hundred bucks and see, do I see anybody show up? And when you have validation that, you know, you're starting to get the right message, you're starting to deliver to the right audiences, you can start scaling that spend. Uh, but yeah, there's really no limit on the box side. We just suggest you need enough traffic that we can gather those real behaviors that matter. Got it. And what's a typical attribution that I can expect if I am serving media to, let's say, a round number of a million people? Yeah. What can I expect from in-store visitation and further, like what percentage can I expect would actually take a transaction? Like what are some, what are some yeah. of the averages? Well, it really depends on the style of products. We have people that are selling cars and selling potato chips. Sure. You know, so so the level of transaction is different. The number of interactions you need to get to a transaction, you know, is different. But but realistically, when you scaled appropriately, we expect at least a three or four to one ROAS on your spend. Uh, and we see much higher numbers than that in many cases. Uh, we just did a case study actually released with Dave Hot Chicken, for example, the fastest growing restaurant chain there is right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're seeing a, you know, 8% lift, 7.8% lift. Uh, for us versus competitors they ran us against to see if they could get, you know, a traffic lift. So realistically, three or four to one ROAS is sort of the low end of of what we would anticipate would be pretty typical. Once you're scaled, once you've got the right audiences, once you're you're delivering kind of full out. But we've seen double digit ROAS. So it really wow. depends on, on how you execute. Okay. So um, I've had a uh, an idea rattling around in the back of my head for using location data for the influencer marketing segment. So I want to pitch you this and see if you think maybe it would be possible. Love it. So um, it's not infrequent that we start getting inbound requests around like big kind of marquee cultural moments where like people are like, Hey, are any of your influencers going to be at the Super Bowl next week? Or are they going to be at Coachella or something like that? And I think the idea is brands want to like activate with influencers that are already at an event. But um, yeah. as we probably know from the, the social media days, social listening doesn't always do the trick because influencers don't always want to broadcast on social where they happen to be. You know, sometimes they do, but that's not always the case. Do you think there would be a way to ingest if I had like influencer email addresses, for instance, would there be a way to be able to say, hey, this group of influencers are at Coachella and you should activate with them in real time? You know, could that be possible? Yeah. So we absolutely do event based marketing a lot. Yeah. In fact, we get like somebody like, um, you know, we work a lot with with uh, a lot of beer brands. So let's say Molson Coors wants to activate or Corona or someone like that wants to activate at a concert. Well, they already have, you know, physical presence at the concert or selling beer or they, or they have signage or whatever, then we can actually deliver ads to that same audience who's attending the event and then post event. So we have the capability of, of activating at events very easily, actually. Now, all of our stuff is anonymized. So mm-hmm. we do not ever talk to Dylan, for example. Uh, yeah. talk to people who fit certain conditions based on how they behave in the world. So if people like Dylan are constantly going to this particular venue, sure, we, we could absolutely serve that ad, but we don't actually, all of our stuff is anonymized to the clients, even to us. We can't even see who's there. So, all we can see is whether or not, you know, someone attended and whether they have behaviors, real world behaviors that tie to something an advertiser would want. So what if I converted those customer records to like live ramp IDs and I pass those live ramp IDs to you Would those be, could you say that this particular 
influencer that's associated with this live ramp ID happens to be in this geography. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to check with our folks. We generally yeah. err away from. I like your idea for targeting events. <laughs> we generally err away from anything that's not anonymized. We just we want to keep everybody safe, you know. Makes sense. So Makes we try sense. to keep. But if you said, "Hey, you know, Coachella has a lot of influencers," I could yeah. absolutely make sure that everyone at Coachella knows that you know your presence is there. All right, or we, we might have a sidebar on that. There you go. There you go. All right, cool. Well, um, I love what you're doing over at Ground Truth. And I want to, you know, circle back later in the interview to talk about how you're getting the brand out as a B2B marketer. But I want to spend a little bit more time on your background as well. So you were at Papa John's in the leader in the leadership role on the marketing side. Were you there during the infamous Papa John's exit uh, situation? Okay. So yeah, I was just uh, you know curious to get a little bit of your take, like kind of in the um, you know being in that leadership role in the driver's seat. You know, it must have been a pretty interesting time. You know, for me, I always look at that as like a really interesting situation. Where yes, obviously it was a horrible situation. Uh, you know, with your founder to have to exit under those circumstances. But I also would love to get you know without you disclosing any details like what is it like to have your ad agency be wrapped up in the middle of that and kind of this you know very public spat with the chairman slash ceo and kind of be to some degree responsible for his ouster like what 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 was that like what was that moment like yeah so so i left right before he left uh okay. so i was there about a year but i, I was there during the majority of like i'm the one who brought in the agency that wow part of this process so um you know, I'm a brand marketer. I believe in the brand. The brand is what matters. My, whether I have a job doesn't matter. Whether the founder has a job doesn't matter. Whether the agency is still employed with us doesn't matter. All that stuff to me is secondary to the brand. I mean, you got to remember a brand like Papa John's, you have hundreds of franchisees and thousands mm -hmm. of employees who are relying on this thing to be successful. And when it's not, it has a dramatic impact on on that large group of people that need this brand to be successful so i've always viewed it as my job as the cmo is i'm in charge of making sure the brand is is strong and anything you got to do to make that happen even if it means you have to leave that brand you do uh so so yeah it, it obviously I, I my first gray hairs popped out at papa john's without question uh you know it was it was very stressful to go through all that stuff but at the end of the day you know, where where things landed with um, Rob, the CEO that's in place right now, with the growth that happened during the pandemic and, and after the pandemic, um, what needed to happen happened to get the brand growing again. And that yeah. that's a very, very good thing. I, I even, I'm a silent partner with a Papa John's franchisee. That's how much I connected wow, with them. Wow. And I'm, I'm part of kind of their world still. Um, and I, I believe that is the role of the CMO is to, is to drive for the sake of the organization. It doesn't matter what whether you win an a lion or an Effie or get a new title or whatever. What matters is the that that organization that you're in charge of and that brand you're in charge of uh, grows. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. So I'm proud of that time, even though uh, you know the gray hairs definitely are there. So. <laughs> well, props to you for uh, being able to navigate that and you know coming out on top for sure. So. Um, you know, I saw that you also have uh, a couple of advisory positions, which I think were pretty interesting and uh, would love for you to comment briefly on them and what you do. 
So I believe one is called SoFi, which is kind of a restaurant uh, CRM slash uh, backend management company. And then I also saw that your advisor at Chamber over with Travis and those guys. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing with both those organizations as well. Yeah, so Chambers and Media, uh, an agency that I dealt with at Potbelly and actually saw great things in. Uh, they're one of these guys that sort of grew up in the long form Facebook video world, uh, sort of Harmon Brothersy, yep. and uh, were scrappy and understood sort of the the game of how to work the algorithm and social, which I always love. That anybody that can figure out how to you know work a system like that is is to me a, a hero. Uh, so they asked me when they when they were bought by private equity to help out with uh, with thinking about the brand going forward. Right? So I've been a part of their world for a couple of years now and uh, and love actually seeing kind of the inside of the media, social uh, paid media world. Uh, and, and it gives me some great perspective, I think, for from ground truth, because, you know, we have a lot of agencies as, as clients. So I can really see sort of how the inner workings of an agency functions. Um, Soshi is a, uh, basically they, they allow multi-location brands to actually activate uh, across all those locations with uniformity, with, with scale, with ability to corporate to have a hand, but not have to do all the work locally. And specifically, the reason I was drawn to them when, when they reached out to me was, uh, you know, at when you run a big brand and you have franchisees, you have general managers at your locations, it's really tough to have a cohesive voice. It's really tough to, to actually ladder up to the objectives that exist each quarter for that brand. And, and that's a tool that uh, has been growing like a weed because it is so good at, at helping people manage that. So, uh, you know, when those guys reached out a couple years ago, I was, I was excited about uh, helping there. I, I love being a part of brands that, you know, they should be big, but they aren't quite big yet. Yeah, uh, they, they, they've got something really interesting, something really unique. And, and all the board positions I have and all the advisory positions I have, I have them because I want to learn something. And I think these guys should be big. Uh, and uh, and I, I like to encourage that growth. And when they're curious about, you know, a CMO's perspective or or a big company's perspective or how how to navigate working with a big company, uh, I think I can bring a perspective. A lot of times it's very helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think. Uh, you know, I've interviewed a few other, you know, CROs or excuse me, CMOs from the QSR space. Uh, one gentleman, his name is escaping me right now, but he was the CMO of uh, Firehouse Subs and Church's Chicken. And, you know, just like that whole dynamic of, you know, whether it's franchise, you know, tier one, tier three methodology versus like brand ownership and just all the things that come with that. I imagine having a technology solution to kind of help ladder up and distribute assets and make sure everybody has the right font guidelines and the right signage, you know, all that stuff. I mean, that must be a real nightmare for, you know, being able to manage that top down and bottom up. So is that essentially the value prop that those guys offer? Yeah, they, they help they help big brands essentially manage multi-location social networks and, and SEO, SEM, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, it is, it is to me taking the job of probably 20 people if you wanted to do it right. And making it so you could have one or two people manage it or less, wow, which wow. is uh, which is pretty dramatic. And uh, you know, most brands, I would argue, they just ignore it. They yeah. they don't pay attention to the reviews that happen for their local stores to their detriment. Then their their search results stink, and their their social results are poor, and they're not managing comments appropriately. It's just if you're gonna, I look at social at, at like a puppy. You get it, you got to take care of it. 
If you're going to do something on it, you got to take care of it. Otherwise, it's going to bite you. And that's exactly what it is if you don't have the right tools in place, the right voice, the right tools like Sochi in place to actually manage it appropriately. So it is a it is a very needed thing in uh, in the e modern marketing ecosystem. And those guys are here in San Diego, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, they got they have offices all over the place, but yeah, they're uh, they're they're really good guys who know what they're doing. So nice. I've turned a bunch of friends on to them just from a standpoint of, you know, don't don't deal with the headaches. Let let the tool manage it for you. It makes life a lot easier. Very good. All right, cool. Uh, well, I want to pivot back a little bit to uh, your role as CMO over at Ground Truth. So, you know, as a, a fellow marketer, that you know, my job is mainly to market my agency to the larger brand and uh, larger agency ecosystem in order to kind of get on those people's radars. I was curious, you know, what would you say is your primary role in partnering with your chief uh, revenue officer and your sales team? Is it making sure that they have the right events to go to? Is it driving inbound leads? Um, is it, you know, creating a strong brand voice? So when those reps go and call on those agency media buyers and or internal media buying teams at those brands that they know who Ground Truth is before they come in or they have some awareness, you know, what would you say are some of the top few things that you do to empower your sales team to go out and get the get the IOs that you guys need to book every year? Yeah, I would say the uh, the role here, the, the B2B role in general, as you sort of put it, is much more wearing many hats than it is in the consumer side. You have a pretty straightforward job on the consumer side. It's it's to draw traffic or to to increase check or or to 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 fix a brand issue that exists like an awareness problem or a perception problem. On the B2B side, it's it's I have found it's much more about educating the organization on the actual consumer need. Uh, so ad tech companies aren't usually filled with a lot of marketers yet they're selling to marketers. Right. Like understanding the mindset of a marketer and someone who's making that decision is a big deal. And you got a lot of engineers and tech guys and dev people, but they don't know how to sell to marketers. So one of it is literally just understanding the mindset of a of someone who buys media. That's one thing I think is very important. A second thing that I think is is critical is distilling the message down to something that people can actually repeat. Ad tech companies tend to just have diarrhea of the mouth when they're <laughs> right. They throw out 50 features and benefits, and it's it's like the old tech world where you would talk about RAM and 486 processors and Pentium 3, and it's just like this constant list of features versus like, well, what do you actually do? So even just being able to stay a sentence like, Ground Truth is a media company that drives in-store visits, yeah. never done that before. That's easy. And spin that straight up and say, that's what we do. And the tech behind the scenes, we can show you. That's awesome. But frankly, that's not why you're spending money with us. You're spending money because you need the visits. You need somebody to show up to your place. So, so I think that's a the positioning work, I, I guess you'd call it, or the brand work is really important there. And then beyond all that, again, sort of like a you know, painter doesn't paint their own house. Most ad tech companies have no idea how to actually do basic marketing. They don't understand, you know, fill the funnel with the right people at the right time and convert down funnel and have all the tools you need to constantly connect to your current customers so they become bigger and better customers. You know, and, and Ground Truth was sort of in that position where they were trying to sort of be everything to everyone and didn't have all the down funnel stuff and the basic infrastructure to be a brand. So I've, I've been, uh, I was consulting them for a little while, helping them with a specific project and then and then I came on a CMO about a year ago now, and, and that's been the work for the last year is build out 
that messaging, build out the infrastructure and marketing, make sure that that you know we can actually see an ROI on the media investment. What, you know, the real business results we promise our clients, we have to give for ourselves. Mm. We have to actually run media and see a benefit from that media. So, so yeah, and, and so far, you know, we've seen growth on the back. I think of of that work certainly, and. And the partnership, I've never had a partnership with a sales team before at an organization because I've usually been B2C, at least with scale. And uh, it's amazing when you have a team of people who can actually like hit the ground with that message and talk to people about that message and how they can actually affect the business instantly. I mean, like overnight, you get a note that we just won this account. Why? Well, they saw this thing that was in ad week and then they, you know, connected with this person at an event and then the salesperson made a call and then they showed up and they were at a conference and just watching the process is so different than B2C stuff. It's, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. So uh, I think you wear a lot of hats and you got to have a great relationship with your head of sales. You know, Rosie on our team, the chief revenue officer we have is amazing. I, you know, this company is so lucky to have her that she can activate this stuff and get in the world with uh, with results. Oh, what's her last name? Uh, Omira. Oh, I was thinking it was a Rosie who used to be the chief revenue officer of Channel Factory that I worked for. So. Okay. Yeah, there are, probably aren't a ton of Rosies, so I'm guessing <laughs> like Rotens, there's not a lot of us running around out yeah, there. So. Exactly. So, you know, another thing that I think is important um, is, you know, product-led marketing, right? So the user experience, like in the ad tech world, we're probably the most fussy people about tech actually working because, you know, we're in the tech space, right? So, you know, I don't think Trade Desk was the best DSP. They were the easiest to use for media buyers. So how much do you um, enforce kind of that product-led marketing of like your tech being slick and easy to use and easy for a media buyer to operate being kind of pivotal to, you know, adoption, you know, amongst you and your competitors? Yeah, you know, the uh, that is a piece that Ground Truth was not great at until very recently. And in fact, we have a, a thing we call our customer advisory board. It's a group of kind of our, our big clients that we meet with today, this, this afternoon, actually. We sat down with them and showed them the next iteration of, of our platform, and and they're excited. So uh, so it is, it is a work in process here. Uh, it, we had to get some things straight first of who we are and what the market need we're, we're meeting is and how do we express that. And now... We're bringing it to life in product, but you're you're totally right. At the end of the day, you know you're on Google, you're on Meta, you're on Hulu self serve system. You name the the platform that's out there, either that gives you the reporting on your results or, or lets you plan a campaign. It's got to be pretty solid, and uh, and we had work to do there. So the team is doing that work now and, and starting to see pieces go into the world. Uh, it's going to make a huge difference in in how people interact with our brand. So work in progress, but we are we are quickly making progress. That's awesome. So um, I want to get your take on uh, a segment of the influencer marketing world that I think we're, is where we're most excited these days about, which is B2B influencer marketing on LinkedIn. So I think this is the year where you kind of see LinkedIn kind of fully maturing into a social platform. I think prior to this year, there's always been social activity on LinkedIn, but I don't think it was really looked at as a social network. Maybe COVID kind of accelerated the speed in which people stopped looking at it as a place to have your digital resume to get headhunted and a place to actually share information and interact with colleagues. But what is your thoughts on LinkedIn as an influencer marketing platform to drive awareness for what you guys are doing at Ground Truth, but just more broadly from a social media context? Yeah, I, uh, 
I think LinkedIn has so much potential. It is insane. The fact mm-hmm. that it is not leveraged, especially by B2B companies, but frankly, by anyone trying to sell to anyone that's, you know, got a certain income level or is in a certain geography that, you know, cares about a certain topic is is crazy to me. Uh, I, I do think LinkedIn has a, an amazing amount of potential. And I've personally seen it with Brown Truth. I mean, it's one of our primary advertising platforms besides our own platform. So we use it uh, heavily to, uh, to, to, to attract folks to us. As far as influencers on LinkedIn go, I think you're totally right. You're getting to the point now where, you know, you know, I stopped using Twitter, you know, about a year or two ago heavily. You know, I still check in once in a while, but when they took away my blue check mark, I got a little hurt. So I, I uh, <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't a big poster there anyways, but you know, it used to be you'd go to Twitter if you really want to get seen in in the in the in the world of business. You know, I could post something on on LinkedIn and tens of thousands of people, you know, see it or connect with it or engage with it. You can't do that on any other platform and expect that sort of reach, that sort of engagement among the people that are actually in the niche you care to sell to. So I think it is gargantuan. I also think that, you know, there are a few people that have started to break out there, you know, a couple dozen folks that are, that are kind of in everybody's feed and, and a few, several hundred, I'm sure, that are maybe several thousand that are in a lot of people's feeds. Uh, curating that has, has sort of been a totally untouched thing for a lot of folks. So while maybe you're a professional, you know, the Simon Sinex of the world kind of thing, who's a professional, you know, marketer, and that's what they do, or the, or, you know, you look at the books behind me, anybody that's got their name on one of these books, right, probably immediately gets attention. But I think the difference is people are going to break out because they're genuinely smart, not because they have 10 books they've written there. So, so I agree with you. I think it'll be a significant thing. And and that level of endorsement on LinkedIn of I actually use this product or I believe in this this service or or you know I I tried this you know I, I'm seeing a lot of stuff right now on like dynamic production using AI and when people say you know this is this is what actually happened and it wasn't good or it was good people listen they pay attention to all the topics we care about as marketers right now so I think you're you're barking up the right tree there I would uh, I'd be one to pay close attention to LinkedIn nice awesome. Um, in another interview, you had a quote saying, uh, you don't need money to be, to be a successful marketer. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, the amazing thing about modern marketing is the toolbox is so big. You can choose to market based on creativity, based on a niche, based on a social network, pick a network and get really good at it kind of thing. And, you know, I grab brands all the time and I kind of throw them behind me and hold them up in calls and stuff like Liquid Death and Red Bull and and Dave's Hot Chicken right now and Savannah Bananas and Gooders and all these brands that, you know, Gooders just has an amazing email system and a good website. And they're they're probably the fastest growing sunglasses brand in the country or have been recently. And that's it. That's all they got is is like just basically good packaging. Liquid Death's got a great influencer strategy plus good packaging and occasionally has a really killer ad, you know, but they're not spending hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing. You know, it used to be tonnage was what was required. You had to, you had to just blanket the world in your brand. And frankly, you didn't have to be very good to get at least trial. Maybe not, maybe not repeat, but trial. Uh, today, anybody with a good idea, anybody who really focuses on a platform, anybody that that just does some basic things well and then distributes those things at the right spots can get some attention. And I think that's amazing. 
That's absolutely awesome. And and the the fact that that's even possible today, I think, is is because the good ideas can rise to the top, especially in things like emerging social networks. The example you just gave on LinkedIn, I think, is a, a good example of that. You know, this is a platform with gargantuan reach that reaches people that have you know the means to accomplish what you need them to accomplish as as you know a business. But nobody really has figured out beyond just paid tools where it's about getting reach, how to really pop on that platform outside of a handful of examples. And that's the rich space. That's where you should play. Don't go to, you know, if I was a if I was a B2B marketer right now and someone used the term TikTok, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like that's so saturated. And it's great. I love TikTok. TikTok's amazing. But LinkedIn, look how open that field is right now. Look what you could accomplish there if you're a B2B marketer. So, so yeah, I don't think you need money. I think you need a good idea and you need people who know how to execute that idea in the right spot. Yeah, no, I love that. I love the idea of, uh, you know, marketing teams that have to be scrappy. And I thought, you know, listening to some of your, in, some of your interviews, like when you were at Potbelly that had like 1% awareness versus Wendy's that had 99% awareness and the stuff that you guys did with, uh, you know, hiring people to basically sit on on your conference call or you went to lunch or like working with that, um, working with that answering service company to like create, you know, ringtone uh, or, or, you know, hold music while you're out to lunch on your hold break. You know, good ideas ultimately are what drives results. And yeah, you know, it's hard to get those ideas out there sometime with no budget, but it's amazing what you can do with a scrappy marketing team. Uh, good people with good ideas and, you know, all the tools that are at our fingertips as digital marketers, even without big paid media budgets. Yeah. Money can make you better. I would argue because you can get bigger distribution, but it can also make you lazy. It can make it so your work isn't going to actually break through because it's good. It's just going to get attention because you force people to watch it and nobody wants to be that marketer. You're just forcing people to consume bad ads. So you know, get, I agree with you, get scrappy, get interesting, and not all the ideas are going to work. You got to also be willing to, to have a few duds in there because ultimately, you know, it's just, that's the nature of, of kind of organic marketing period. Uh, but it's really exciting when you get one of those interesting ideas, it breaks through and it actually shows up in the sales and people start showing up and talking about it. And then years later on a podcast, somebody brings it up. That's cool stuff. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, we're getting down to uh, the final stretch here. So what are you most excited about in the, for the future uh, with the work that you're doing with Ground Truth? Yeah, I think what's going to be amazing for marketers in the not too distant future, and it's already starting to happen at, at our company. So I know it's happening in other companies as well, is we're going to be able to automate the stuff that's mind numbingly difficult and requires just hands and bodies and all this stuff. You know, I think the, the fact that, you know, you would manually replan your media every time you will get a new piece of information is, is frustrating. We want this to happen in the background automatically. I want to be able to dynamically run creative that's going to actually give us the right result and not have to A-B test every 10 minutes to make sure it works. I think that the exciting stuff that's coming is, and I hate to use the buzz term of AI, but is built sure. on machine learning and the ability to automate some of the stuff that doesn't really add value from a marketing standpoint. It's just the busy stuff you have to do to, to keep your world running. So that that's that's really exciting to me is that back end sort of feels boring stuff, but 
is going to result in much more efficient, much more effective marketing without spending any more money, without throwing more bodies at it, that sort of thing. I the, love it. So I think that's I think that's huge. I think the other thing right now that I'm really excited about is is actually we're getting to the point in social where these things are mature. Everything besides LinkedIn, I'd argue, is pretty mature. Uh, TikTok's still got a little more room to, to, especially with ad products, to grow. But like Facebook is very mature at this point. Even Insta is very mature, and and Snap and some other places are very mature. Something's going to have to emerge over the next two or three years that that brings the attention back and breaks through in some extent. And I'm just waiting for which platform that's a little smaller and a little quieter figures it out. I'm really excited. The stuff I'm starting to see from Pinterest, you know, that's an example of a platform that I think has been a bit of a sleeper. They're big, but they're not, you know, Facebook big, obviously. Uh, so to me, I'm waiting for the next shiny object to hit just to see if it's actually real. Uh, and I think it's going to be accelerated by all this backend machine learning stuff. That's, that's just going to make marketing easy for people. I love it. So you're a bull on AI. Let's not be scared of it. Let's let it do the boring stuff that we don't want to do so we can be freed up to do more creative strategy. Um, it's funny. I uh, we, we found a tool uh, that actually allows agencies to use AI to respond to RFPs to like the boring part within RFP. So, uh, you know, they're already making stuff to make, you know, our jobs easier as agencies, which I'm pretty excited about. So if, if AI could do 80% of the, you know, the, the boring part of creating an RFP and leave my team to focus on the big ideas, like that would be pretty awesome. And, and that's where it's magical to me is, is those things like, I don't want to spend my day filling out forms. I don't want to spend my day you know, just, just writing up a description of a thing or updating a chart or if we can make that stuff automated and focus on the stuff that actually adds value, the creative stuff, the strategic stuff, the stuff that even, even lets us sit back and think. I mean, that's one of the biggest benefits of being a CMO is you actually get a little bit of room to think because you're not like trying to crank out another PowerPoint tomorrow. And if we can give that to, to the entire marketing team, my God, the work will be so much better, so much better. Yeah, I love it. Well, Brandon, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, you've really uh, given our audience a, a great idea, some great ideas and some actionable things that I think that they can bring down, bring back to their teams. Um, anything else you want to plug uh, while we have you? Yeah, marketing is a very exciting place to be right now. There's so much potential. And if you aren't showing an ROI in your marketing, the next guy will. So you better get your stuff straight. Uh, it's, it's the good time to be a marketer, especially when they can deliver results. Let's go. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. For all of you that are following along at home, if you enjoyed my conversation with Brandon today, don't forget to subscribe to the channel wherever you're watching or listening to this. And if you would be so kind as to give us a review, that actually helps us find a larger audience. And most importantly, if there's a colleague out there somewhere that you think would benefit from the conversation that Brandon and I shared today, don't forget to share this episode. That's how we grow organically. So thanks so much, Brandon. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Dylan. All right. Cheers.